Treating patients with bipolar disorder can be one of the more difficult things we do all day. What are the biggest challenges you face as a clinician in helping people with this disorder? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Lunt, and with me today is Dr. Monica Bosco. Dr. Bosco is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Texas at Arlington. She's also an associate professor at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. She's the well-regarded author of several books on bipolar disorder, including my favorite, The Bipolar Workbook, Tools for Controlling Your Mood Swings. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Bosco. I'm glad to be with you. Why is it that treating bipolar disorder can be so difficult and so taxing for the clinician? It's a challenging disorder. It has many different facets to it. It is not 100% responsive to medication treatments, and the patients themselves bring lots of complexities to the problem. Yeah, that's for sure. That's kind of how my morning went today, as a matter (laughs) of fact. What are the biggest challenges that you face as a clinician in helping people with bipolar disorder? I think it falls into probably three main categories. The first one has to do with patients who are new to the diagnosis, and these people have difficulty accepting the notion that they have a chronic illness that's going to require treatment for a majority of their life. I think coming to terms with it, understanding what it is, and being willing to participate in care is the biggest challenge for that particular group. Those who already have the illness, have had it for a while, they understand it, they understand the importance of medication treatment, they present different kinds of challenges. Usually they're not as sensitive about fluctuations in symptoms over time and might not catch a relapse early enough to try to prevent it, and so they might not be as mindful of symptom changes. And then there's the group that's sort of tired of having the illness, gets hopeless, feels burned out with having to deal with it and wants to stop taking medicine, wants to give up on treatment altogether. And it's hard for them to maintain their enthusiasm, I should say, about or their hopefulness about engaging in the treatment process. So where do you start? It all seems kind of overwhelming. It's pretty overwhelming for them, and it can be for clinicians as well. I guess I always start with making sure that the patient and I are on the same page with regard to the illness, that we're talking about the same terms. They may have heard uh, terms like mania or depression, or they may have heard expressions about symptoms, but don't necessarily know what they mean. So I try to make the beginning part of my interventions with people and with their family members just becoming sort of informed about the labels that we use as clinicians, but also the labels that the patients and their family members use for the symptoms they experience. You know, that's a great point. I mean, just today, a patient I saw said he was cycling, which, of course, means one thing to me. But in actually speaking to him, you know, he really wasn't cycling at all. So getting our terms straight is a great place to start. Yeah, that's a really good example. Now, clearly medications are an important part of the treatment plan for these patients. What else should we be doing besides just medicating them? Again, I'm thinking of the busy family practitioner who's got 20 people in the waiting room and, you know, maybe 10 minutes of a visit to help these folks. What can they do besides simply just give them a prescription? Well, I think if you took two of the 10 minutes and spent it talking about whether or not the patient's actually taking the medication, that would be a good use of time. I think clinicians tend to assume that if you write a script, it'll be filled, and if it's filled, it'll be taken. And there's some research that suggests that's not necessarily true. So I think asking patients if they're having any difficulties in taking the medicine, any side effects, any problems with the timing of it, finding out if they intend to take it when they leave the office. Patients pretty much will tell you if they don't plan on taking it or if they have hesitation about taking it, 
you typically will hear it within a pause in their voice or a look of hesitation on their face. So I think making time at every visit to talk about whether or not adherence has been a problem, if there have been any challenges to taking it consistently, if they've had any trouble remembering to take medications, and then finding out which time of day or which dose seems to be the most challenging and maybe doing a little problem solving around that. If you only had a couple of minutes to spare, that would barely be good use of the time. Makes sense, and I, I think something that most of us don't do on a regular basis I think that's probably true. I'm a clinical psychologist, so I hear my patients talk about their visits with their physicians. Now, I obviously have a longer time to spend with my patients, so I can talk about the ins and outs of treatment adherence and about symptoms. So one of the things that I do is I work pretty closely with the psychiatrist or with the primary care doctors that are taking care of my patients to make sure that I understand what medicines they're prescribing, what their intentions are, and they understand what I'm doing so that we're all on the same page. And so I can follow through and reinforce the kinds of things the physician is prescribing, and we can work together as a team in that way. Makes great sense. Now, in your book, The Bipolar Workbook, you also talk at length to the patient about kind of side effect management and and things that they should be discussing with their physician. Absolutely. I think patients tend to tinker with their own doses quite a bit, take more, take less of a drug, add their mother's drugs, do those kinds of adjustments on their own, take over-the-counter things or natural things. And I try to get patients to talk to their doctors about the changes they'd like to make before they make them on their own. And I think if it's a regular topic of conversation at a checkup, then those topics can be discussed pretty easily. Uh, You can ask somebody if they're satisfied with the regimen, if there's any side effects they've had that have been a problem, if they're thinking about making any adjustments in their dosage or type of medicine, and if they have made any adjustments since they were last in the office. And if you have it as a regular topic of conversation, then it's not something that the patient should be inhibited to talk about. Not a taboo subject. The clinician isn't trying to punish them or detect whether they're being good patients or bad patients. So if it's just a matter of conversation, then patients are more likely to talk about it. Makes sense. Treatment adherence, side effect management, what else is important for us to be doing in our quote-unquote medication management sessions? One of the things that I think that helps patients and helps physicians as well is you want to know if your patient is beginning to have symptoms of depression or mania long before it becomes really severe. And you want your patient to call you and say, I didn't sleep last night or I'm having some agitation. I don't know what to do. And you want those phone calls so that you can give advice and there can be an adjustment made long before the person ends up in the emergency room or has to be hospitalized. And so I think it's helpful for physicians and patients to talk about what are the first couple of symptoms that they would most likely notice if there was going to be a return of depression or of mania or of a mixed episode. My patients are really pretty good at telling me, well, this is what happens first. You know, concentration goes first, or I can't sleep as well, or I feel much more nervous than usual, or I don't want to eat. They are usually pretty aware that something changes, so being able to catch those very early symptoms provides an even earlier opportunity for intervention. Saves everybody a lot of heartache and time. You know, another patient of mine today said that every 
holiday period, she has difficulty and, and more difficulty than most. So we talked about how next year we're going to do things differently in anticipation of the holidays, including coming in to see me right smack in the middle of it. So I put a little sticky note in her chart saying, make sure she has an appointment in late November. Um, so planning ahead from both the patient's point of view and the clinician's point of view seems to make a lot of sense. It does. I have my patients start to keep mood graphs at the end of October because that's when they start. I'm in Texas, so the climate is a little bit different. We start to see some changes into colder weather towards the middle part of November. So if they start to monitor their mood on a mood graph at the end of October, beginning of November, then we can often catch those gradual changes that are occurring. Now, some people associate their mood fluctuations with the holidays, but I think some parts of the country it's actually a climate change. It just happens to coincidentally occur during the holiday season. And it may not be the holiday at all. It may have to do more with light exposure. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Monica Bosco. We are discussing some useful strategies on how to treat bipolar disorder. Any other tips for a short medication visit? What else can we do? Well, if it's a short medication visit, you can find out if there's been any other kind of stressors in their life that might be making symptoms worse. Are there any events that have happened just recently or any events that are coming up in the near future that might throw off the patient's sleep schedule? I put a lot of emphasis on sleep and keeping a consistent sleep pattern. I think if you can ask somebody if they're heading into a stressful time period and then talking a bit about the importance of continuing to keep a good sleep pattern, a good schedule during the day to help prevent that sleep loss that can induce symptoms. So kind of lifestyle management skills? But on lifestyle management, they're trying to anticipate some difficult times as they may be heading into certain seasons of the year. Now, thinking about lifestyle, of course, more and more we're recognizing the potential metabolic issues in bipolar patients due to our medications. And you've done a lot of work in treating diabetes as well as bipolar disorder. Tell us about those two and, and what you found. Well, I actually started my work in the world of diabetes management in a study of type 1 diabetes with the Diabetes Control and Complications Trial. And our goal was to help people have normal blood sugars 24 hours a day for 10 years which is just an enormous goal, and we actually did a pretty good job at it. In the process, I learned a lot about treatment adherence and symptom recognition and just having to live with a chronic illness. It was very applicable to mood disorders. I was on another project working on mood disorders treatment, and it seemed like those kinds of similarities were shared between diabetes and bipolar disorder, having to come to terms with a chronic illness, having to monitor symptom fluctuations on a regular basis, having to stick to a medication regimen they may not like on a regular basis, activities they can't do quite the same way, habits that don't quite you know, fit with maybe a prior lifestyle. And I think some of the challenges are very similar. Now, of course, some of my patients who have bipolar disorder also develop type 2 diabetes, often a lot of weight gain, sometimes associated with the medication or maybe for other genetic reasons, they may end up with type 2 diabetes, and they have to deal with those dietary struggles and weight loss issues in addition to managing their illness, and that's quite a challenge. So again, both chronic illnesses requiring a lot of monitoring as well as taking medications. Absolutely. Now, how about in speaking about weight management, whether it's diabetes or bipolar disorder or any of our patients, obesity is such an issue in this country. Any tips as a psychologist that, again, maybe thinking about our kind of generic primary care doc out there listening, anything that maybe we should think about? This is such a 
challenging problem for everyone. And if I had to think about the kinds of things I talk to my patients about, I usually try to help them keep their plan for health, including exercise and weight control, as simple as possible. And so I usually talk to them about adding one positive and taking away one negative. And so if I ask them to add a positive, we start with that. That usually is something like either walking, you know, some type of exercise, or adding some healthy food to their diet that they don't currently consume. It's often things like fruits and vegetables or drinking more water or something like that. If I ask them to think of one negative they can take away, it's usually pretty easy because they usually have a whole number of negatives. <laughs> and it might be something like not eating junk food at a certain time of day when that they're most vulnerable, like while they're watching TV at night, or eliminating a food product they're overdoing, like French fries or potato chips or something like that. But I encourage them to start simple, set a very small goal, adding one positive, taking away a negative, and then getting that under control. And then maybe thinking again, what's another positive I can add and another negative I can take away? And sort of moving slowly towards a healthy habit rather than trying to do a all-out restrictive type of you know, dietary and exercise plan. I really try to discourage patients from going to the extreme They've got enough, you know, to manage with their illness and their their lives in general. So I try to encourage them just to keep things simple and manageable. And certainly, I mean, I'm guilty of this, and I know many of our listeners are as well. Often we don't say any of that. We just say, oh, you need to lose weight. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's a newsflash. Or watch your eating. That's the, that's the one that physicians use. You need to watch your eating. Well, my patients are watching it go right into their mouth. Right, exactly. yeah, I mean, those the, there's a lot of, of actually dietary advice on the Internet that people you know, have access to, and there's certainly quite a few books available. And different strategies apply to different people and are appealing to different people for different reasons depending on their lifestyle. But certainly doing whatever they can to burn more calories through movement of whatever form they can manage and certainly reducing their intake of foods that they know are high calorie or high fat certainly is a good place. Going back to one thing you talked about earlier, maybe if you could help our listeners with a resource, is there a template that you use for helping patients chart their moods? There's quite a few ways to do it. In the bipolar workbook, there are several examples and some worksheets you can photocopy and you can use them. And in my book, Cognitive Behavior Therapy for Bipolar Disorder, there are some mood graphs in there that you can photocopy. So essentially, you're just getting people to monitor their mood on a daily basis using whatever system seems to work for that particular patient. So I try to use a simple scale, like negative five to zero are depressive symptoms, and then from zero to plus five are manic symptoms. And so I try to get people to say, okay, in a given day, where would you put yourself today? Normal is somewhere between, you know, negative one, positive one is where we are most of the time. We're very rarely at zero. So I would always try to use whatever kinds of daily events a patient's already experiencing and add the mood graph to that. We've been speaking with Dr. Monica Bosco about practical ideas to improve compliance and overall results in bipolar disorder patients. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Always call us with your comments, questions, suggestions at 888-639-6157. Again, that's 888-639-6157. Thank you for listening. 